Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There are new unemployment figures out this morning from the U.S. Department of Labor showing unemployment in California in April climbed to 15.5 percent. That's higher than the peak jobless numbers from the Great Recession in 2010. More than 2 million Californians have lost their jobs since the state closed down to prevent more coronavirus deaths. But for a lot of people who are newly jobless, filing for unemployment benefits has been difficult because of the crush of applications. State elected officials also expressed frustration at a legislative hearing yesterday. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Some lawmakers had the chance to grill the director of EDD about technological issues and slow arriving unemployment benefits. What my constituents are telling me is they call this number Uh, They go through a series of phone tree um, and then they get hung up on. I understand the challenges that you're being faced with. No one anticipated this, so I have have a certain level of sympathy there, but I have more sympathy for my folks in my district. There's not a sense of urgency. There's a sense of tremendous bureaucracy. That was Assembly members Todd Gloria, Buffy Wicks, and David Chu. Another lawmaker said some of his constituents reported waiting six to seven weeks to receive their benefits. EDD Director Sharon Hilliard said at the beginning of this crisis, her staff was like California's unemployment rate. It was at a record low. It's sheer capacity for us, and we are doing everything under our power to improve our capacity. As of last week, the state had processed 4.7 million unemployment claims and paid out more than $12 billion since mid-March. But lawmakers say even with the massive demand, the agency isn't focusing enough resources on helping people file claims or providing basic information. For The California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. In a landmark decision yesterday, the University of California Regents voted unanimously to drop the SAT and ACT exams as admissions requirements. The tests will be phased out over the next five years. The SAT and ACT standardized tests have long been criticized for creating barriers to higher education for less privileged high school students. I talked about the UC Regents' I talked about the UC Regents' historic vote with Frances Contreras. She's a professor of education studies at UC San Diego and a critic of standardized exams for college admissions. It's an important statement for equity in the state of California to have a more holistic approach to admissions and UC admissions, and this will impact the next generation of those students trying to access public um, universities in our state. So how do you think this phasing out of SAT and ACT requirements might affect countless students in the future who want admission to a UC campus, especially if they're students of color? I think it's an important statement um, by the University of California and by the leadership of UC Regents in saying that we are responsible, where we are responsive to the residents of the state of California, and we want you at UC. We believe that your record in high school Your record of achievement is more than enough to earn you a spot at the public, premier public institutions um, in our state. And so I think that that's probably the most important message is that we might see greater access for students that are the best and brightest in their local context, but maybe they don't have access to 
30 plus AP courses or, you know, to, to perform um, in such a way on a particular standardized exam, right? We know that those students that have access to multiple testing supports and testing courses do better. And so this is an important signal to say that you actually have uh, a, a fair shot at attaining admission to the University of California. But even as the UC system prepares to phase out the SAT and ACTs for admission, this vote by the UC regents does aim for replacing them with some other kind of standardized aptitude test. What do you think that other kind of test should be? Right. I mean, I think that's a great question. I think that um, I worry about the use of standardized exams because these exams um, don't necessarily or always measure or aren't in alignment with the curriculum that exists at the high school level or in K-12. And I think that disconnect is something that we need to pay attention to. And so we're likely going to be seeing a sea change in how admissions operate, both at the undergraduate and the graduate level. That's UC San Diego professor Francis Contreras. The SAT and ACT exams, of course, do have their defenders. They argue the tests help determine students' preparation for college-level work. California's superintendent of public instruction says most school districts plan to open on time this fall. Tony Thurman hosted a statewide meeting yesterday to get input on how to do that safely during the pandemic. But KQED's Vanessa Rancano reports there were more questions than answers. Educators, labor leaders, public health and workplace safety officials are working together to draft guidelines for reopening schools. This week's meeting offered a peek inside that messy process. California School Employees Association President Ben Baldapena was one of the stakeholders who got a chance to share concerns. I really would not have any idea how many supplies I need in order to um, sanitize the school every single day. I really don't even know if the two custodians at the school where I work would be able to keep up. Other logistics districts have to figure out getting enough protective equipment for students and staff and keeping classes small enough to maintain social distance. In some districts, that might mean a mix of online and in-person instruction. State Superintendent Tony Thurman said his department has gotten questions and input from thousands of school leaders. I acknowledge to you up front that this is not easy. I acknowledge to you up front that there is no simple playbook for how to do this. He expects to release guidelines in the coming weeks. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño. If you're lucky enough to still have steady work, you might be doing your job from home these days. Now, Facebook plans to let half of its 48,000 employees work from home permanently. KQED's Rachel Myro has more from Silicon Valley. CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the company will first make most new North American hires eligible to work from home, then allow experienced employees to apply for the option. I think that it's quite possible that over the next five to 10 years, about 50% of our people uh, could be working remotely. An internal company poll found half of those surveyed would prefer to split their time between working at home and one of Facebook's 70 offices worldwide. Zuckerberg said it may be difficult to accommodate everyone who wants to do that. Now that social distancing guidelines require 75 percent fewer people physically present when Facebook offices begin to reopen July 6th. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. 
The California Republican Party has withdrawn its endorsement of congressional candidate Ted Howes, who's running for a seat in the Central Valley. That comes after his Democratic rival, Josh Harder, published racially insensitive Facebook posts allegedly written by Howes in past years. The posts disparage Muslims, African-Americans and Latinos. One compared undocumented immigrants who were brought to this country as children to pedophiles. Howes calls the revelations fake news and claims other people somehow gained access to his social media accounts and posted the material. The California report asked Howes' campaign for further comment. No response yet. Let's turn now to the coronavirus. As stay-at-home orders are lifted across California, many people are beginning to wonder whether some degree of face-to-face -face socializing is also safe. Seeing friends or family is more tempting every day we have to endure social distancing. I talked about our growing restlessness with KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg. So, Leslie, I've been out and about a little more in Los Angeles, and I see other people out on the streets, on the sidewalks, talking to friends. What's the official word about doing these kind of things right now? It is still a big no. We really are not supposed to be socializing yet. You know, the governor and public officials in most counties have offered the same response to me when I reached out to them, which is, only essential trips, you know, going to the grocery store is okay. Some retail is now okay as long as it's, you know, curbside pickup with a mask, socially distanced. But all of our socializing should really only be happening virtually, which I do recognize is, is not what is actually happening on the streets right now. Hmm. And are officials taking into account that human beings are social animals and isolation takes a toll on mental health? It's a problem, right? We're all feeling the loneliness, some depression, anxiety, and the governor talks about this frequently. And so there's a lot of encouragement to stay in touch, you know, letters, screens, phone, old fashioned phone calls. But he also stresses that we are not in the clear. You know, tallies are still rising. More than 70 people in California died every day this last week. So officials are really weighing the risks. So do we have any further word on when we're either going to get new instructions or more finely tuned instructions about socialization from officials? It's not clear when that could happen. They're watching some indicators like testing capacity, contact tracing capability, whether or not more people are going to the hospitals. But none of these are really at levels where officials feel safe enough to give the green light for socializing. They're also worried that if they were to do that, that it could turn into kind of like the Wild West. And, and so they're really erring on the side of, of safety. And any concerns that people, particularly after more time passes, are just going to make up their own rules about how to do this? That is definitely the fear. And it's one reason why uh, California Senator Scott Weiner is really encouraging officials to offer more precise, nuanced guidelines. This is high risk. This is medium risk. This is low risk. Uh, I think most people will, will, will get that. And if we don't give people guidance, they're going to socialize anyway. And they may do it in a way that's not particularly safe. A recent Atlantic article that I, that I just read by Julia Marcus, who's a Harvard epidemiologist, she made that same case. And, and she argues that abstinence doesn't really ever work. And she points to the AIDS epidemic as an example. And, you know, then safe sex was the prescription, not no sex. And in the same way, she'd like to see official guidelines around socializing in the same way. And if people don't practice pandemic social isolation abstinence, are there ways for them to reduce the risk if they're talking to friends or family? 
Absolutely. There are some things that are safer than others. And the doctors that I talk to suggest making sure that all socializing, if it is going to happen, take place outdoors because the sun and the wind and humidity are all your friend and will help to kill the virus. And this, if it's going to happen, should be socially distanced, you know, that's six feet. And anytime after you see anyone, make sure to wash your hands. Okay, KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg, who I am sure is a model of social isolation etiquette. Thanks so much. Thank you, Saul. And finally, our sister show, The California Report Weekly Magazine, is exploring how people with disabilities are responding to the coronavirus pandemic. Alice Wong hosts a podcast from her home in San Francisco. She uses a ventilator and a wheelchair, and Wong is worried about how calls to open the economy quickly could threaten her and others. It just burns me up. The way people are so kind of ready to be over the pandemic, and I don't think we're anywhere close to it. If more people get sick and hospitals are overrun, medical staff may have to prioritize which patients to help. And Wong is concerned people like her will be last on the list. Tune in to the California Report magazine on this station or download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the California Report for Friday, May 22nd, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Raquel Maria Dillon, Kate Wolf, and Mary Franklin Harvin are our producers. Angela Corral is the editor of the show. Our managing editor is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Take care and have a great Memorial Day weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Paint care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 